Hello, and welcome to Moby Forum's podcast on digital identification. I'm Paul Rogers from ICPR, Moby Forum's communications partner, and your moderator for today's discussion. For those listeners who are not familiar with Moby, we're a global, not-for-profit industry association empowering banks and other financial institutions to shape the future of digital financial services. For the past few months, Moby Forum's Digital ID Expert Group has been doing some terrific work conducting an in-depth collaborative study with seven of the most prominent digital ID schemes across Europe and North America. This work has been distilled into a digital ID report, now accessible on the Moby website, that provides insights into the evolution of the schemes, their varying models and management, together with the technologies they use and the services they provide to citizens. The report also takes a broader look into the future, exploring the potential for cross-border integration of the digital schemes, together with the challenges and opportunities for banks and other FIs. To discuss some of the report's highlights and takeaways, I'm joined by three of the key figures from our expert group. We have Yuka Yuliyuntenem from Kiseke Endeavoren. Hi, Yuka. Hi there. We also have Jenny Alkvist from Sparebank One. Hello, Jenny. Hi there. And we have Kevin Farragher from TD. Greetings, Kevin. Hello, happy to be here. So, Yuka, if I can come to you first, Digital ID schemes, I suppose, in the various forms have been around for a bunch of years now. Why did Moby Forum think that now was the right time to conduct the study? Thank you, Paul. What we see, not just in Moby Forum, but overall, is that this is a highly focused topic, and not just for organizations, but I guess the whole society that we live in. We are all very much using already digital services, and they are becoming more and more commonplace. And accessing services, typically nowadays, it requires that there is some sort of identity use. And that's a very fragmented market. It's a market which is evolving very fast. So we thought at Mopi Forum that uh, this is an interesting topic, especially for the financial services community, which Mopi Forum is representing. At the same time, we know already that in some markets, there is a very high maturity in the digital ID schemes, they are widely used, especially in the banking sector. When we look then globally, usually these schemes are quite different. So there might be different technologies, there might be different way of introducing identity level of the credentials, how, let's say, trusted those are, and so forth. So we thought that there is a, definitely an opportunity for banks and other stakeholders to really learn on this kind of a study. And of course, now what we are looking is that it's not just that we have a digital identity in one country, for example, which is serving, for example, the banking customers already, but we see that there is a need to certain cross-border interoperability too. So there are challenges which need to be somehow managed. And that was also one of the reasons to have this study done. Thanks, Yuka. So a few things to talk about. Kevin, if I can come to you, you could rightly said that there is really quite a lot of differences between the different models in digital ID schemes. I suppose one of the unifying themes that has been consistently reported through the study is that banks and financial institutions to date have really played a very important role in the launch and the development of the schemes. So I guess the question is, what is it about the banks that's made them so fundamental to the success? 
Sure. Yeah, I think there's a few reasons that I would highlight on why banks are well-suited to lead digital identity ecosystems, and we see them active. First of all, active users. So banks have ready-made active user base who are typically quite engaged with uh, their bank, quite active in visiting and interacting with their bank through digital channels. For example, at TD, we have our customers interacting with us over 20 times a month, either through mobile or online channels. They are familiar with their banking credentials. They know them and regularly use them. And I would underline also that, you know, banks have some of the strongest authentication available in the market. Obviously, there's always ways to improve authentication and we'll always have to stay one step ahead of the bad guys. But in terms of relative strength, banks have some of the strongest. The other point I would make is our data. So banks are heavily regulated entities bound by KYC rules that mandate our data has to be up-to-date, accurate, and valid. And so I think that the market understands that bank data is some of the, I guess, cleanest and most valid data available. So it makes sense to use that data as uh, the foundation for an ID network. And I think like engagement, we also have scale. So in Canada with the Verified Me Network, when, when banks who normally are competing start to cooperate and collaborate as a consortium, we quickly get potential user base of 80 to 90% of, of the country. So we have instant scale that's based on the convenience of people already knowing their banking credentials. And then the last point I would say is we're good at governance. Banks have you know, required trust from our customers, obviously, but also from other verticals, other parts of the market. And we know how to extend and build this vital element of trust to commercial entities, telcos, governments, insurance, insurance, et cetera. So like we've proven that we can effectively govern an identity scheme to ensure that there's the right liability coverage, uh, recourse when things go wrong, that sort of thing. So there's a number of reasons here. Thanks, Kevin. So Jenny, I suppose having established the important role that banks have played in the evolution of digital ID to date. The report also draws attention to the huge level of collaboration that banks need to undertake with other key stakeholders, governments, vendors, regulators, other banks. Could you add some color to that for us? Yes, that is collaborative institutions. You have to collaborate between institutions and stakeholders to create more business models and to give more value to the customer. So that is one point. And we saw in the report that one example is in Estonia, where the government was the primary stakeholder to start. They were the initiator of the scheme. So they also collaborate with, for example, banks. And as Kevin mentioned before, is that you have the scalability with the financial institutions because you have those active customers. So you can add the scalability with the stakeholder that wants to create the ID scheme. But you also can create the common infrastructure, which enables other businesses that want to use that scheme to get their solution out in the market. That is one thing we have seen in the Nordics, that you can apply for a mortgage from start to finish with the ID as the foundation. So you can get access to tax reports and everything with consent of the customer on a secure solution. So you enable easy scalability and you can access different data and collect those in total. Thanks, Jenny. 
you could just circling back to something you mentioned earlier, you said that digital ID schemes are reaching a pretty sophisticated level of maturity now. And I suppose the next thought is how they might be able to deliver services across national borders. So I guess a question for you or a two-part question is, is this the next natural step for digital ID? And what are the considerations here for banks and other stakeholders? Right. As we are looking very much, of course, the digital identity here, which can be combined, of course, some sort of a physical identity as a, for example, a physical identity document, passport, and so forth. But especially when we look at the digital part of this one, it means that you use that also in the digital environment. And then, of course, this cross-border becomes easily very important. If you think about the consumer, if they want to buy something on online, so merchants might be all over the world, uh, they don't know borders, or there are a lot of other services, not just buying items, and there you need usually some sort of a identification. So this cross-border is, I would say, an opportunity, and it is probably a huge opportunity, because there are related costs to build, for example, this kind of identification infrastructure. Of course, it depends on the level of security and the assurance that, for example, the service provider would require. For example, in the banking, it's probably higher then would you need to do something less secure? But at the same time, it is a big challenge because that would, of course, basically mean that there needs to be some sort of a global interoperable infrastructure and the system processes, rules to do that one. And most of the schemes, how they have, of course, started, they come from the domestic point of view. What Jenny mentioned about this collaboration, at least what we also see in the study, so some of the successful ones, like in the Nordics, so there was the collaboration between the banks, but they were still bank for banks for one particular country. And of course, they looked at the services, technology, some regulation standards from that particular environment. What we would need to, of course, understand to build this interoperability also that, that, that there needs to be some sort of a killer application to get the acceptance because in the successful implementation now for the digital identity, there has been very often banking services because like Kevin said, so consumer customers, they do, for example, 20 times logging to the services. So there is a frequency, there is a need. So you can say it, it's a killer application. Will there be something similar? globally? That's a good question. But as I said earlier, I believe that there is a vast number of services where the digital identity can be applied. And this easily comes to the kind of a concept of somebody like a bank being an identity service provider, providing basically identity infrastructure and the secure credentials for others so that they can use then this infrastructure uh, because there is a cost to build that one. And uh, then it's always kind of a comparison. Shall I build something my own? Or shall I use something uh, which is already existing? And especially if there is a high assurance level, like what uh, banks could offer. There are also a regulation item here, very important. There are some markets, like in Europe, EU has already applied so-called EIDAS standards, and this is gaining now momentum. There are still steps to be taken, but of course, that's EU-wide. So we would need to look also would there be the next evolutionary step to have it globally acceptable or having something similar from somewhere else? Thanks, Yuka. Yeah. Kevin, did you want to bring the Canadian perspective on this point? 
Yeah, sure. Happy to. So I think you can sum it up the international landscape very well. I would、uh, just want to comment on one pretty compelling use case in terms of international interoperability with Canadian banks specifically. And I'm pretty confident I speak for all banks here, not just TD. It's an opportunity that would allow us to enable digital customer onboarding or new account opening for newcomers to Canada, new Canadians. You may know Canada welcomes close to 300,000 new Canadians every year, and in our market, that segment is a very important growth segment、uh, for the bank. So, you know, the ability to accept a foreign digital identity. To augment that onboarding experience is、um, great for the banks. It would help us streamline costs to onboard,、uh, open the doors to a, a segment that's an important growth segment for us, and improve the customer experience for new Canadians and the citizen experience, where they can, you know, land on our shores and quickly get up to having a bank account and telco accounts open.、Uh, so that that would be a pretty important piece there. And you know, towards that end, we're starting to see digital identity standards emerge, and we're exploring some of those interoperability opportunities and potentials with the likes of the W3C,、uh, DIAC, which is the the Canadian Digital Identity Authentication Council, and, and other standard bodies. So we're we're quite excited about that opportunity. I suppose this discussion about standards and. Legal frameworks and that sort of thing leads us quite neatly into a discussion about what the big tech giants are doing in this space and the interests that they have. So Google, Amazon, Facebook, and the likes. You could you have a perspective on this? Well, thank you, Paul. I would probably be not too wrong to say that these players are already very active in this space. If we think about just ourselves, so whenever we use the services from the Tech giants, whether it's a Facebook, Google, or others, there are actually identity services、uh, implemented, and these are actually quite nicely implemented. So they are very user friendly. They are portable, and、uh, nowadays you can use actually these credentials for many other services. So if you think from that point of view, it is absolutely probably one of the key things actually for example social media platforms, but also other tech giants to build. That kind of infrastructure, because it has very much to do, of course, also how they make their business. So their business model is based on collecting information and identity as such, and different kind of attributes on the identity are, I would say, very interesting information. So absolutely, I would say yes. And then, of course, they have an assets too. So they have implemented asset things. They don't know borders. They are all over the world already now. Many of them have also the tech play, which means that if you look, for example, of handset vendors or any of these platforms that are, let's take a mobile phone, Google, Apple, they have the platform which is operating systems. They have even devices, so they can also control and make,、uh, let's say, the identity easy to use. I would say pretty secure too, and they can from end to end、uh, value chain cover the topics there. And of course, they have a load of money,、uh, which enables to, let's say, incentivize the、uh, different businesses, but also giving again good services to the consumer. Of course, the big thing for them is that how to gain the trust from consumers or from businesses, because there has been some compromises on the data privacy, which is very much related to the identity and the management of that one. So it's not kind of a done deal. 
So I think that uh, there are definitely opportunities for others. And especially if you look at this kind of a trust point of view, banks have a role to play. And then if you look at this kind of a very high assurance level, when we start talking about the governmental identities, so then, of course, again, I think that the room for tech giants is somewhat maybe limited, or at least it is somewhat challenged. That's interesting. So certainly the trust element is a real plus point for banks in the marketplace. I suppose, Jenny, perhaps a halfway house then between the tech giants and the banks, you could place the big international payment schemes, Visa and MasterCard. Would it be fair to lump them in with the tech giants in this discussion? Or do they sit more with the banks or are they in between? It's definitely fair to include them because they have big initiative on the same uh, to create identity. And that is positive because they are highly regulated and they are trusted partners with most financial institutions globally. And they are they're very familiar with the KYC process and everyone trusts that KYC. And you can use the Visa MasterCard globally. And why shouldn't we create some scheme that works on the same way? So it is that business model that is very interesting to look into because Visa MasterCard and the payment scheme are interested to keep up the level of assurance to mitigate risk, to have a more secure way to pay in the digital world because we do move from uh, more physical payments to a digital payment. And you do need to have a secure way to identify yourself. And that is why digital ID is so crucial for them to be a part of, if not have be the initiator to initiate this scheme themselves or partner with financial institutions to create that. So yes, it is definitely important to at least be aware of what initiatives they have and maybe partner up with them in some way. But in that saying, there are a lot of schemes they want to take globally. So we'll see who wins the race. So yeah, a lot of different dynamics in this global ecosystem. So our time's nearly up, folks. And so I guess a final question to all of our speakers. As we move into the next decade, what do you think the key priorities are for banks and financial institutions? in this space with digital ID schemes. Kevin, can I come to you first? Sure, thanks Paul. I think we really see digital ID as not the end game, but rather it's a foundational capability that we think will underpin the powering of the digital economy. And you know, if we think about open data and, and data democratization, open banking, even payments and e-commerce, digital ID is really the foundational capability that can underpin, ensure privacy and security of our customers, protect our customers, empower them to own their data and manage who they share it with, manage their consent and protect them as they participate in the digital economy. So we're really focused uh, a little bit on, on enabling some of those things and positioning digital identity as the foundational underpinning for those pieces. On a more tactical level, we are proactively working with our public sector partners. You know, the Verified Me Network we're participating in right now is largely private sector, but we see public sector, government, provinces, municipalities, federal as paramount to driving ubiquitous adoption. So we are actively engaging in the public sector to bring those entities into the network and working with our friends at DIAC to uh, develop the Pan-Canadian Trust Framework 
a bit of a standards and best practices framework that will allow uh, public and private sectors to work together under the same terms. And then lastly, as TD, we're proactively looking to not only provide bank data out to the market, which we do today, but actually consume data and, and use those identity data elements to help innovate on our new customer onboarding processes, um, the way we make decisions on credit for customers, the way we onboard employees, et cetera. So uh, we're actively pursuing those use cases where TD will start to consume digital identity data to really innovate on the way we operate and save costs. Thanks, Kevin. Jenny, same question. What yeah. do you see as the key priorities for banks? Yeah, I'm from the Nordic, so I think we have a pretty different perspective and uh, Kevin in, in the Canadian market because we have been using the digital identity schemes for a very long time and it is uh, as of this moment on the same high level assurance as a passport so we have a bunch of use cases already to online on customers and so forth. So I think the next step here is to ensure that security is on the top level and we do see more identity theft as uh, the scheme matures and is used on uh, different solutions for this different use cases. Uh, so I think uh, that is one thing that needs to be focused on in future. And the other thing to take in consideration is what uh, Yuka talked about earlier with AIDAS regulation, which is to ensure that a lot of the European schemes have the same framework and that enables one scheme to be used in governmental services in another country. So that opens up many use cases where you can accept digital identity schemes from a whole other country and use that for your KYC process because you accept it on the same level as your own scheme, for example. So I think that is the next interesting thing to look for in Europe to see how that uh, progresses. Because as of this moment, it is the government that are pursuing this topic, but I think the private sector and the financial institution are the next uh, players in the game. Got it. Thanks, Jenny. And Yuka, over to you for your final thoughts. Thank you. Well, I would kind of uh, crystallize this with the one word, and that's the agility, and uh, especially in the banking perspectives. Like Jenny said, so certain markets are already quite far, having the infrastructure, having a lot of services, service providers, and even uh, having uh, government collaborating so that uh, basically something being built by the banks is then recognized as, as a governmental level identity. And at the same time, like Kevin said, Canada, this is uh, just uh, started and there is a lot of developments needed. And then there are countries where there is, I would say, still on a very early stage of the digital identity. And maybe banks do not have that much, at least this collaborative uh, approach might be per bank by bank. So I foresee that this is some sort of a race finally. And I also believe, like Kevin said, that the digital identity is finally an enabler, but it is very fundamental enabler for the digital society. And then if it's especially then combined also with the physical identity, like an e-identity card and so forth. So you kind of are building something which enables people 
businesses, companies to interact with each other in the trusted way. And as said, there are already good examples that this can be done. But at the same time, we were speaking some of the other actors and they do not necessarily, for example, wait for the regulations to come. Because if there is a consumer appetite for these type of services or identity as an enabler and then getting some services, it is kind of an easy sell. And uh, that's why I think that banks need to really move fast. Try, you might fail, but try again and you might succeed. And once you have a certain infrastructure built and the services enabled, so then you can start looking the next steps. Uh, for example, this interoperability topic. Thanks, Yuka. Well, all good things come to an end. Our thanks to Jenny, Yuka, and Kevin for sharing your insights and summarizing some of the key points from the recent report. And thank you too to all the listeners. If you're interested in learning more on this topic, do head on over to the Digital ID section of the Mobi Forum website, where the report and the source data are available. And if you'd want to be part of these kinds of discussions, do get in touch with us at Mobi, and we'll be happy to tell you more. Thanks again, and bye for now.